sing together. That was great. That was, an, that was an, a solid A on the lyrics, a solid A on the performance, and an A-plus on the cuteness, right? That was, that was awesome. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, this morning in your Bible, thank you for, for coming to this early morning session. I was, I was saying to Pastor uh, in the, the office before, the, before we came into the room this morning, you know, these conferences are all the same. They, they're over before they begin. You, you get here, and then it just seems like, what in the world? Uh, and I, I'm picturing all of you that have large families driving home. I'm, I'm picturing dad at the wheel, slapping his face, you know, trying to stay. I'm picturing mom over here with her head back, resting, and all the kids, like, in the prone position in the back seat. So... I do pray that you'll have good traveling mercies going home. How many of you traveled uh, by automobile over five hours to attend the conference? Wow, wow. How, anybody over 10 hours? Yeah, I've, I've, I've owned cars like that too, okay? Yeah, yeah. They live like 15 minutes away, but you know, ministry cars. Yeah, church vans, right? Yeah, wow. Second Timothy chapter 1. This morning, thank you, by the way, for being so hospitable to, to me. Uh, I feel like I've met so many good friends over the years here in Australia. And I know I'm, I know I'm a visitor, and I know that probably some of the things that I, I say come across very American from an American context, but it's just the way, it, that's my context for ministry. So I, I always pray that when I preach here that you can kind of put that put that aside, and if I say a thing or two that just doesn't apply to ministry here, just be gracious to me and go for the things that maybe do have application. So thanks for your patience. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, I want you to look at verse number verse number 8 uh, of, of, our, of our text, and we're going to keep our Bible open. Uh, I love this passage. I, I love this passage because it it demonstrates the heart of one older mentor for a younger man whom he has mentored for many, many years. And can I just say this? At the end of the day, all, all ministry can be reduced to one-on-one -on -one discipleship. At the end of the day. Now, I'm not disesteeming times like this. I'm certainly not underplaying your Sunday morning congregational meeting. But, but know this, that, that ministry at its core always reduces down to one-on-one -on -one relationships. And we need to understand that. that that's where the, the benefit lies. And we see a great example of that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, an incredible example of one life, God using one life to pour into one life. That's always been God's plan. God's plan has always been that he uses people to bless people. Now, he could have done it any way he wanted to. God didn't need to use me in the process of the Great Commission. He didn't need to use me, but he did. He did, and he does. And that's the way by which he does. How shall they hear without a preacher? God has made it a, made it a thing that the gospel propagation would be in and through human beings to human beings. 
And what is true in the gospel is also true in discipleship. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 8 where Paul is challenging Timothy and saying, be, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now think about that for a moment. Timothy grew up in Lystra. Timothy probably, as a young, impressionable boy, saw Paul being dragged out of town on that first missionary journey. He probably saw the, the blood and the, 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 the condition of Paul after having been stoned, presumably to death, in Lystra. But Timothy understood persecution. Timothy understood opposition to the gospel. Timothy understood that. And yet things had ramped up so significantly in 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul was now in prison. Nero, the emperor, had pinned all of the economic woes of the Roman Empire on Christians. He had scapegoated Christians as the reason for all of the economic ills in society. Paul, obviously was the poster child for Christianity. Timothy was his closest associate. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your estate. Remember? I mean, if you thought about Paul, you think about Timothy. That was fully known. My doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my afflictions. All, you know, Timothy, when people think about me, they think about you. When they think about you, they think about me. So now, Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul is in prison. Now, he's been in prison before, but not this kind of prison. Not this kind of prison. Now he's in the deep, dark, dank, Mamertine prison, a hole in the ground. He, he knows, he knows that he's going to die. He already has a sense of finality. I have fought my fight. I have finished my course. I've run my race. He knows that. Timothy, if you're going to see me again alive, you're going to have to come quickly. Everyone's gone. Some on missionary endeavors. Crescens went to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. Luke's with me. Demas forsook me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. At my first answer, at my first court appearance, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray, God, it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I mean, this is what Paul is dealing with. And here's Timothy in Ephesus, and he's dealing with, he's dealing with this. He's receiving the hostile stares as he walks down the road. Paul tells him in this very chapter, this thou knowest that all they which be in Asia are turned away from me. These are dark days. This is John 666 in Jesus' ministry where many of his disciples forsook him and fled. They, they walked away and Jesus looked at his own 12 and said, will ye also go away? To whom shall we go? Said Peter, thou hast the words of eternal life. And so this is a time in ministry where things aren't doing this. These are not the heydays. These are days of, of challenge. These are days of, of downturn. These are days of Opposition. These are days of intense persecution. And all of it's affecting Timothy. All of it. These are not days when people are signing up to go to Bible college. 
right? Timothy's by himself. And Timothy's flagging in his faith. Even strong Timothy, the leader of the Ephesus hub, even strong Timothy struggling. And Paul said, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Timothy, you're getting to the point where you're even ashamed of Christ. And what is the testimony of Christ? He hung naked, bleeding, dying, alone. So you're being ashamed of the testimony of Christ, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Watch what Paul says in verse 12 as he testifies. Timothy, verse 8, don't be ashamed. Verse number 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Hey, I'm going through it too, Timothy, where I am. Nevertheless, I am what? I'm not ashamed. He gives some negative examples in verses 15 and 16. I'm sorry, verse 15. But then he gives a positive example in verse 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus was probably dead. But the Lord give mercy to his family. For he, Onesiphorus, he oft refreshed me. Watch this. And he was what? And then look at chapter 2, a very famous verse, verse 15, where the Bible says, Study spudazzo, to make every effort. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be what? So do you think maybe that's a theme? Do you think maybe the theme of chapters 1 and 2 is not to be ashamed? To live unashamed. One of the reasons why young men in particular are not getting into ministry today is because it's increasingly difficult to stand for Christ. And no one wants to bear reproach. No one wants to be thought of as a bigot. No one wants to be thought of as an antiquated. In this woke generation, no one wants to uh, be the poster child for what the world would cause, what would, would, would call, you know, a- antiquated and small-minded and weak-minded. And Timothy was dealing with that 2,000 years ago. So here's my question. How did Paul pour into Timothy? Because really, 2 Timothy is a discipleship manual. It's a manual of how... Uh, older, settled men of God pour into younger, unsettled men of God. What impresses me about this meeting is how many older men of God are here. I've met men in this meeting. I've pastored 42 years. I've pastored 50 years. I was retired, but I've had to come out of retirement to Uh, help this church. Uh, I was going to settle down, but I've had to come out of retirement to go uh, interim pastor over here. I love that spirit. There needs to be a resurgence of the kind of pouring in that Paul did for Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So here's what I'd like to do. It's 9.27, so I'm going to go till 10 o'clock, and I'm going to just go through as many of these as I can And then I think you'll get the idea. Because we could do the entire book. Matter of fact, I've done the entire book. 
80 discipleship principles from the book of 2 Timothy by which older, seasoned men of God can pour into younger, unseasoned men of God. And let me just say this if you're a younger man. You know, we desperately need you. Like, I, I would ask you in this conference to sincerely ask the Lord if he would allow you to, to enter gospel ministry. We desperately need you. Like, worldwide, but especially in this nation. Desperately. And so let's see what God has for us as we put ourselves in the position of Timothy, as we put ourselves in the position of Paul, what are some ways by which we can invest one-on-one -on -one in the lives of others? Okay? You have your Bible open. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 1. Where the Bible says, Paul, an apostle, an apostolos, a sent one, one on a mission, a one that is on, 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 on point for, for Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, here's principle number one. If you're going to make a difference in the lives of younger men, if you're going to make a difference in the lives of a disciplee, you, you the discipler, number one, you're going to have to understand your own unique call of God and determine to live a life of biblical priority. Let me say that again. You're going to have to understand your own unique call of God and determined to live a life of biblical priority. Okay, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, Timothy, I'm in jail. Timothy, I'm going to die. Timothy, things aren't looking good circumstantially. Timothy, I'm by myself. Timothy, people have quit. Timothy, things are going down. Okay, but Timothy, I'm still doing what God called me to do. Because the call of God is not contingent upon the circumstances that unfold, but the call of God is determined by the call of God. And so I understand my own unique call of God, and I'm determined, Timothy, still in jail in these last days to live a life of biblical priority. Timothy, I'm still doing what God called me to do. I know it's tough. They're in Ephesus. I know that you're flagging a bit. I know that you're growing ashamed of the testimony of Christ and, and of me, his prisoner. I know that things are becoming increasingly more difficult. But Timothy, I'm still doing, by God's grace, what God has called me to do. You know, one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful uh, ways by which you influence others is just by your stick to just by your faithful testimony. Mansour was telling, where are you, Mansour? Mansour was telling me about this man in Yemen who had been mercilessly beaten for his faith. Former Muslim, bold witness for Christ. Now, I'm not going to tell the story. You'll, you'll see it. They've interviewed him. We sat in the car. He just told me about this man. Didn't tell me one message he preached. I don't know what his preaching style is. I don't know what his personality is. I don't know, you know, if he's a, an interesting speaker. I don't know. All I know is I heard his testimony. And I looked at Mansour and I said, it makes me wonder if I'm even saved. When I hear testimonies like that. Can I just say this, older, seasoned men of God, your testimony is weighty. 
And what Paul said, listen, I'm still doing what God's called me to do. Here's what leadership is, ready? Leadership is not this. Somewhere along the line, we got the, the erroneous view that leadership is pointing people in a right direction. That's not leadership. Anybody can point. Anybody can point. No, leadership is not this. Leadership is this. This is leadership. This is leadership. And what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is this. Timothy, I understand my own unique call of God, and I'm determined to live a life of biblical priority. Number one. Now look at this, number two. Verse number two. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. To Timothy. You want to make a difference in the lives of people? I understand your own unique call of God, determined to live a life of biblical priority. Number two, carefully and prayerfully determine whom God would have you to mentor. Now, let me, let me say that again, then explain what I mean. Carefully and prayerfully determine whom God would have you to mentor. See, here's a false view we have of mentorship. Well, I'd love to pastor a church of 100 people. I'd love to pastor a church of 200 people. I'd love to pastor a church of 500 people. I'd love to, as if that I'm going to have the lion's share influence in their life. I'm not. No, if discipleship is what the Bible defines it to be, then discipleship is limited to a very few people in your life. And Paul limited his discipleship, um, this kind of discipleship, to a very few people in his life. Think about it. Who are the people whom Paul discipled? Just begin to name them in your mind. Timothy. Titus. You might add Silas, although they were probably more peers. You could say Tychicus. You could say people like Demas. You could talk about Aristarchus or even uh, uh, Onesimus. You might add Epaphras. But boy, I'll tell you what, the list kind of gets short, doesn't it? You probably can't name 10. Probably can't name 12. By the way, 12 is what Jesus had. So as pastors, our job is to pastor, but our job is also to bishop. Right, we're, we're the pastor, we're the bishop, we're the elder. And so as, as a pastor, it's my job to disciple some, but it's my job to make sure that people are being discipled. That's my job. My job is to disciple some, but my job is to make sure that people are being discipled. So everybody in my church, if you're a pastor, everybody in your church, and when I say my, we understand it's Christ's church, but you know what I'm saying. But everybody in your church... You as a pastor, uh, you ought to make it your main business that everybody has somebody who knows their deepest prayer request. Everyone knows somebody, has somebody that when they're gone, they're getting a, a, a call. Everybody has somebody who's in Bible study and, and, and in intense discipleship. It's our job. So we have to carefully and prayerfully consider whom would God have me to mentor. The Bible says in Mark 4.13 that from among many, this is one year into Jesus' public ministry. From among many, Jesus chose 12. And here's the operative. Here's the operative phrase. He chose 12 to be with him. You know what discipleship is? Discipleship is doing life together. It's not a curriculum that we employ one hour on a Wednesday night and go through fill in the blanks. No, I'm not against that. I think that can be a small component of it. But discipleship is so much more than that. 
One of our problems in modern ministry is we've, take, we've taken Bible words and assigned modern definitions. So we, we call curriculum discipleship. We call one hour fill in the blank discipleship. I'm not against those things. Just don't call it what the Bible doesn't call it. Discipleship is the ongoing daily investment of a life in a life. And you can accomplish more with a young man in your home for five hours on a Sunday between services than you can in six months of Sundays at church. It's doing life together. Man, take people with you. People ask me, you know, how did you, a pastor in those early days at Harvest Baptist Church, I identified young men and took them with me everywhere I went. We were a band of brothers. If I went to, if I went to Kmart, they went with me. I'm not kidding you. I'd pull by their ass. We're going to Kmart. Well, why? Because they need to know how I live. They need to see the way I speak to the clerk. They need to see the gospel tract I give to the uh, person at the gas station. They need to see a stop on the side of the road and help this person. It's as we do life together that they see what Christianity looks like really. Not tie-wearing you know, how are you doing, brother, Christianity on Sunday, but real Christianity uh, down in the raw, week by week and day by day, they need to see that. Carefully and prayerfully consider whom would God have you to mentor. Number three, look at verse number two again. Understand your own unique call of God. Carefully, prayerfully consider whom God would have you to mentor. Watch this to Timothy, my dearly, Beloved son, confirm honestly and openly your love to him. Confirm honestly and openly your love for him. You want to make a difference in someone's life? Confirm honestly and openly your love for him. You know, love is the optimal climate in which people grow. Love is the optimal climate in which people grow. I think sometimes unwittingly what we do with people whom we're mentoring is we set the bar high and they never hit that bar because just about the time they do, we raise the bar and raise the bar. And listen, let's talk about higher standards. I'm all for it. Let's talk about high expectations. I'm all for it. But people need to understand that your love for them and your commitment to them is not contingent upon their obedience or lack thereof, but that you love them. And there's not one thing that they can do today to make you love them any more than you already love them. That's what Jesus does for us. There's not one thing you can do today to make Jesus love you any more than he already loves you. It's not the earning of Jesus' love that makes you a better Christian. It's the apprehension of Jesus' love that makes you a better Christian. The love of Christ constraineth us, Paul said. Because we thus judge that, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which lived should henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. It, it was what captured Paul when Paul was captured by the love of Christ and, and ca- being captured by that. He loves me in my worst moment was the greatest incentive to live for him. And we have to confirm honestly and openly our love for people whom we're mentoring. This, my, love is, my love for you is, is not for sale. My love for you is not, is, is not contingent. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a home where I never heard I love you from a man. 
Now, I heard it from my mother like 97 times a day. <laughs> but my dad left us when I was four. My dad died when he was 56. In my whole life, I never heard my father look me in the eye and say, I love you. Not once. Now, I think he did. I hope he did. But I don't know. Because he never told me. My mother remarried when I was 10, and I moved in with my stepfather. And my stepfather actually is my father today. He adopted me when I was 48. Took him a while to think about it, okay? <laughs> it's a long story. But you know, we, we didn't have a good relationship at all. I didn't like him, and he didn't like me. So by the time I went to Bible college at age 18, I had never one time in my life ever heard the words, I love you, from a man. I'm going to tell you something. That will play with you. Because insecurity will take the place of where that love should be. And I was the most insecure young man I knew. Always trying to get people to like me. I would do anything for people to like me. I would do anything for people to accept me. Why? Because I was looking for love in all those wrong places, wasn't I? I remember having a roommate in college. Now, you have to understand a little bit about the United States. Fellow Americans, help me on this. Okay? In the southern part of the United States, people say really, really nice things. But they don't mean it. Okay? They say really, really nice, but they don't mean it. Okay? Up north, we say really, really mean things, but we mean it. <laughs> okay, so at least we're honest. So I went to a Bible college where my roommate was from down south. And we knew each other for like two days. I was leaving my dorm room one day, and he called after me and said, See you later, man. I love you. And I stopped in my tracks. And I said, what? He said, I love you. I said, you don't even know my middle name. You don't love me. But I'm going to tell you something. When you can sincerely, honestly, openly affirm your love, that makes a huge difference. Well, you want to impact people's lives? Understand your own unique call of God. Determine to live a life of biblical priority. Carefully and prayerfully consider whom would God have you to mentor. Honestly and openly confirm and affirm your love for him. All right? Watch this. Number four. You have your Bible open. Look at verse number two. Verse number two. Well, the Bible says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, I love this, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, these are just introductory words in the epistle, as if the Lord just kind of needed filler verses to put in the Bible because, I mean, people need to read the Bible through in a year, not a month. So I need to put some verses in here that make it longer, right? And we do know this, that in uh, Roman culture 2,000 years ago, the standard greeting was grace and peace. Grace and peace. Now, in the, in the pastoral epistles, the Apostle Paul adds the word mercy because I think we pastors need an extra special dose of mercy, right? So grace, mercy, and peace. But in the 
Greek language, grace and peace, it was just kind of a perfunctory. It's like kind of saying, hi, how are you? Like in, in the States, we say, hi, how are you? But we don't want to know how people are. We say it because it's a nice thing to say. But then every now and then, people answer the question. No, 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 no. <laughs> right? Because you always have that one person that tells you. <laughs> have you ever been to Israel? They still say this. They don't say grace and peace. They just say peace. Shalom. Shalom. And what does it mean? Buy stuff from my souvenir shop. That's what it means. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Shalom. I'm going to tell you something. When you use these words with imbued with Christian meaning, ha oh, grace, God's unmerited favor that gives me both the desire and the ability to do God's will. Peace, that disposition of heart that insulates me on the inside for the pressures on the outside with the knowledge that God's spirit is greater. Wow. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, Timothy, my desire is for you to be, to be the recipient of all of those blessings that only God can give. Timothy, I want God's best for you. I want God's best for you. Boy, if you want to make a difference in the lives of the person whom you're mentoring, then be willing to have the conversations about spiritual things. I think sometimes in our effort to reach teenagers, to connect with teenagers, we talk about everything but spiritual things. We talk about the ball game. I'm not against that. We talk about the cool thing. We try to learn the lingo. Listen, I'm not against that in a cultural way, maybe to try to connect. But can I just say this? we got to raise the bar. At the only time we talk about spiritual things with young people is at set times, like Sunday school or church or youth group, then what we've unwittingly done is taught kids that Christianity is compartmental. There are certain times to talk about it and certain times when we can just be the real us. What we need to do is we need to infuse into all of our conversation this idea of let's talk about Jesus. I'm not saying that every conversation needs to be theological. But what I'm saying is we desire for them to be the recipient of God's richest blessings. We desire for them to be the recipient of God's richest blessings. All right, quickly, look at number, verse number three. I think we're on number five. By the way, if, if, you, would, if you would ever like to have um, some of these explained a little bit, more like if you're taking notes and figuring, I didn't hear the way he said that, just email me. I would be happy to just email you this outline. Okay, so I would just be kurt.skelly at gmail.com. Honestly, it takes me two seconds. If you want this outline so that you can just listen and not have to uh, take notes, I'd be happy to send it to you. Kurt, Kurt K-U-R-T dot Skelly. That's S-K-E-L-L-Y, not E-Y, L-L-Y, at gmail.com. I'd be happy to send it to you. Matter of fact, Pastor, I'll send it to you. And if you want to just, uh, matter of fact, that's better. Don't email me. <laughs> How are you? I don't want to know. <laughs> but he wants to know. <laughs> so I'm going to email to you because it's your stinking conference. All right? <laughs> I'm not mentoring y'all. <laughs> <laughs> look, look all right, we're done. All right, look at, <laughs> look, look at verse number three. I love this. 
I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. Now, now watch this. That without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Do you want to make a difference in the lives of people? Then pray for them. And tell them you're praying for them. Pray for them. And tell them that you're praying for them. I think typically we make one of two mistakes. I think sometimes the mistake we make is we tell them we're praying for them, but we don't. Have you made that mistake? Have you said to somebody, hey, I'll be praying about that. And you mean it in the moment, but you forget. Now what I do is if I tell someone I'm going to pray for them, I, I try to pray for them right then. Hey, can we just pray right now? Because I know me. Okay, or I'll say, you know what, G give me that and let me write that down. Because I know that my well wishes will not take place unless I do something. Here's the other mistake we make. The other mistake we make is we do pray for them, but then we don't tell them. And there's something encouraging about telling somebody that you're praying for them. Simon, Simon, Satan has desire to have you. Now, you know this in the Old English, you is always plural. One of the reasons I, I love the King James is because those pronouns make so much more sense, right? You and ye are always plural. Thee and thou are always singular. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you, that you, disciples, that he may sift you, separate you. That's what the devil always wants to do, separate you from the body of believers, he, he's like any good carnivore. He's not going to jump into the pack of, uh, of wildebeests. He's going to get the weak one or the young one off by himself, right? That's the way he always does. And so uh, Satan is there to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the group, the brethren. What's the point? The point is Jesus said, Peter, I am praying for you. That's powerful. I wonder at Peter's lowest moment when he walked away from that fire and went and heaved bitter tears. I wonder if what brought him out of that funk was Jesus said he's praying for me. I wonder at the moment that their eyes locked as Jesus made his way from the house of Annas to the house of Caiaphas across that courtyard after being tried in that kangaroo court in the middle of the night. I wonder when their eyes met, the, the cock crowed. I wonder if when Peter went out and wept bitterly, I wonder if in that moment Jesus didn't begin already to pray for Peter. He told him he would. Tell people you're praying for them. I remember meeting Pastor Vic. Pastor Vic is... A Filipino national pastor. He was traveling to the United States, raising some money for church planting. We had started a small church in Connecticut, and we didn't really have a big missions program, but we still got calls from missionaries that wanted to come present their work. And I'll never forget Pastor Vic, Brother Vic, his name was. He was the most excitable guy I ever met. Hello, Brother Skelly, it's Brother Vic. I'm like, I would like to come to your church and present my ministry. I said, are you deaf? 
I said, Brother Vic, we have a small church. We, you know, we'll take a love offering. I don't know that we can take you out for support. No problem. I want to come and preach the gospel. Great. Come on. He came that Sunday night. We probably had a dozen people in church. But I'm telling you what, Brother Vic just assumed there were 5,000 people in the Coliseum. Man, because he's preaching, he's running around, he's jumping up and down. He's, and our people are like, <laughs> Pastor, we thought you were excited. <laughs> it's like, this guy is on steroids, you know? He preached, we took a love offering. I thought I would never see him again. Years later, I'm in my office in Pennsylvania. These are back in the days when they had an intercom. I'm trying to explain this to people that are under 30. Um, it's kind of like a walkie-talkie on your desk, okay? Look it up in the history books, okay? Intercom. So I get this beep from our secretary. Pastor, you have a phone call. Oh, great. So I pick up the phone call, put on my pastor voice. This is Pastor Skelly. <laughs> on the other end of the phone. Hello, Brother Skelly, this is Brother Vic. I said, I know. <laughs> he said, uh, how is Wanda? I said, Wanda's doing great, Brother Vic. Thank you for asking. How about Nathaniel? How is Nathaniel doing? It's my oldest son. I said, well, Nathaniel is growing like a weed. Thank you for asking. How about Joshua? How is Joshua? So well, Joshua's doing really well, Brother Vic. And Caleb, how is Caleb doing? I said, Brother Vic, you have an amazing memory. And here's what he said. He said, oh, no, Brother Skelly, I don't have a good memory. I pray for your family every day. Man, that hit me. That was 25 years ago. I'm still talking about Brother Vic, why he prays for my family every day. But I wonder what kind of impact we're having. We always want a strategy. We always want a methodology. We always want a new program. We always want some big activity. We're always praying for some big conference to make a difference. Hey, how about, all, how about spending time alone with the God of the universe who changes hearts and pray and pray and pray and pray? Moving people by prayer alone. Wow. Quickly, look at verse number five. Verse number four. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Communicate your desire to be with him. Communicate your desire to be with him. So every now and then I'll meet people. Uh, they'll come for, to me. I'll be at a youth camp or a youth conference, and they're a youth worker, and they'll say, you know, Pastor Skelly, I, I don't even really like working with teens. I'm like, then don't. You know, volunteer in the nursery. You know, It's like, come on. Paul said, Timothy, I want you to know I love spending time with you. I greatly desire to see you. You know that you give off a vibe? You know that, right? You give off a vibe. And, and people intuitively know if you want to be with them or if you don't. I read, I read a book years ago. I hesitate to say this because once I say it, then everyone like becomes a judge, okay? But I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and you're independent Baptist, so you're already judges, okay? So <laughs> I, I read this book called What Everybody is Saying. It was a book on body language. 
And it was written by a CIA agent in the States about how to, how to interpret body language. I'm going to read this book. Do you know what the most honest part of your body is? People say, your eyes. It's not true. A, a CIA agent, an FBI agent, I don't know what your secret service is in Australia, but uh, they'll tell you the most honest part of your body are your feet. He said, so many cases that we've won are because of people's feet, because your feet give it away. In an interview, if someone doesn't want to be in an interview, they, they, unwittingly, they, they turn their feet toward the door. Okay, you don't believe this? Next time you're in a conversation, not with someone in this room, because everyone in this room knows. <laughs> okay. It's like, don't look at my feet. <laughs> okay. okay, next time you're in a conversation, when somebody comes up to talk to you, if, if I'm talking to, to, to Tim and someone comes up to talk to us, come up here, here, Tim, just so I can illustrate this real quickly. Can you make it up those steps? Okay, good. I'm not worried I can outrun him. <laughs> if we're talking like this and someone comes to talk to us, you know, we, we give away that we don't want him to be in the conversation when we don't open our feet to him. It's a subtle thing. It's a subtle thing. It might not be because we don't like them. It just might be that, hey, we're, we're talking right now. We pick up, your feet are, I don't even know why I'm talking about this right now, but this is really interesting. Uh, thank you, Tim. Be careful going down. Awesome. He can't hear me at his age. Don't worry about it. The point is this. You give away to people if you, if any man loves God the same as known of him, you, know, you give away to people what you love and where you want to be. You give it away. Are, 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 do, do, does the person that you mentor know that you have a genuine soul connection with them? Beyond just a duty to mentor them, that you want to spend time with them. People want to be around people who want to be around them. And that's important. Okay, now quickly, I've got three minutes. Let me just give you a couple just so you have them to, for your meditation. Uh, verse number five, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, ah, nupocritas, unfeigned, not fake, without hypocrisy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that's in thee, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I'm persuaded that in thee also. Here's what's interesting. Uh, Paul is going to re rebuke Timothy. Paul's going to say, Timothy, stop it. Quit being ashamed of Christ. Come on, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. God didn't give you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Come on, Timothy. Timothy's, Paul's going to rebuke Timothy. But before he ever does, he said, Timothy, I'm still doing what God called me to do. I love you. I want God's best for you. I'm praying for you. Can't wait to see you. Wow. Then he says this, Timothy, what I really like about you is you're real. You know what I call this point? Praise the good that you can. When it comes to mentoring people, praise the good that you can. Now, flattery, that, I'm not talking about flattery. Don't make things up. Okay, gossip is when you say behind someone's back that which you'd never say to their face. Flattery is when you say something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. They're both wrong. 
Okay, but identify ways by which God is working in their lives and then praise the good that you can. That's important. Affirm his godly and God-given relationships. You're not, don't have the Messiah syndrome. You're not you know, the only hope for that young man. He has other godly influence in his life that need to be affirmed. And Paul said, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And Tim, Timothy, you've had a grandma who's hung in there. And you've had a mom who's been faithful and a mixed marriage and a dad. that I mean, she's had to pull double duty spiritually. And I'm just telling you, Timothy, you have some good and godly influence. If you're a youth pastor, don't take the place of the parent. Push kids toward their parent. Have a, a better relationship with mom and dad. That's what Paul's doing. He's affirming his godly and God-given relationships. Verse number 6. Verse number six, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting of my, of my hands. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, Timothy, I was there when God did something special in your life. Remember, Timothy, remember at Lystra? Timothy, remember when the elders gathered? Timothy, can you still feel my hand on your shoulder when we ordained you? Timothy, remember that special thing that God did for you concomitant with Timothy's ordination. God gave him some special gifting. Timothy, get back to that place of spiritual victory in your life. You know what's wonderful about conferences like these? We're there when we see young men make great decisions. And we can be the string around their finger years from now and say, I was there. You need to get, remember how God was working in your life? Get back there. That's the, that's the blessing of longevity in ministry is we see we're part of people's spiritual tapestry. We're part of their history. And we go back and say, remember, remember. Hey, come on, get back there. Come on, come on. God did that in your life. It's not me. It's God that did that. I'm reminding you. Here's what I'm saying, guys. I'm saying we need to have a resurrection in local churches in good, old-fashioned, biblical discipleship. And Father, help us. So much more to say, but Lord, I pray that what has been said would have been helpful. Lord, I'm praying that all of us would just have a greater desire to dive into passages like these and find out from you how we can be more effective in helping, mentoring, shaping, leading a generation of young men and women to serve you beyond us Bless the remaining sessions this morning. Bless the final day of this conference, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.